Turn with me in your Bible today to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. First Corinthians chapter 16. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Reading, of course, from the authorized version. First Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I have given order to the churches of Galata, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. Now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. And it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that ye may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Now if Timotheus come, see that ye may see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord as I also do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren. As touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren. But his will was not at all to come at this time, but he will come when he shall have convenient time. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men, be strong. Let all your things be done with charity. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 14. And we pray that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and the verse 13. It reads as follows, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. And my theme today is a call to the church to stand fast in the faith. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verses 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul states a five-fold moral exhortation to the church at Corinth. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong, let all your things be done with charity. Now in the Greek New Testament, these five moral exhortations are really all five present tense commands. Therefore, they're all imperatives. They demand action. These five exhortations are not just a bit of advice. They're not just some form of optional counsel. 
They're, they're not a, a, a take it and leave it like a menu in a restaurant where you can pick and choose. And if you don't like something, you can disregard it. No, these five commands are all incumbent upon every believer in the Christian church. Now, the first four commands employ what we would really call military metaphors. And the fifth command summarizes the other four in, a, in an overarching manner. Let all your things be done with charity. Watch ye literally means to be constantly on alert, wide awake. It's a warning against those who would seek to bring about division in the church and is not a big danger facing any church. Stand fast in the faith. That's a reference to hold fast to the whole counsel of God, the body of Christian doctrine and teaching as revealed in the scriptures. It's a reference to, to hold your ground, to, to not retreat in the face of the enemy. Quit ye like men, the third exhortation. This is a call to have courage in the face of danger. And oftentimes we're fearful in danger. And we want to quit. We want to run away. We want to hide. We want to surrender. And think of the 13 apprentice boys. Shutting Bishop's Gate in the face of the Jacobite army. With their cry, no surrender. Be strong. It means to be strengthened. And where does our strength comes from? It comes from the Lord. Let all things be done let all your things be done with charity. That's the glue that holds everything else together. Our, our love for the Lord helps us to watch. Our love for the Lord helps us to stand fast in the faith. Our love for the Lord helps us to stand with, with courage as courageous men and be strong in the power of the Lord. Now today, I want to take the second of these commands and focus on what I'm calling a call to the church to stand fast in the faith. 2017 is what we call Reformation 500 year. And of course, 500 years ago, the 31st of October, 1517, Martin Luther stood at the church door at Wittenberg and nailed the 95 Theses to that door and he was standing fast for the faith. Our church model, the denominational model for 2017 is here we still stand. And that's a reference to upholding the doctrines of the great Protestant Reformation. Sadly, we live in a day of apostasy a day of religious downgrade, a day of religious compromise, a day of worldliness, a day of change for uh, we Northern Ireland politically and socially and culturally and even religiously. And what do we need to do today? We need to stand fast in the faith. The Protestant Unionist Loyalist community needs to learn to stand fast in the faith. And there's a great need, of course, to return and reconnect with the church. And many Protestants 
uh, unionists and loyalists who have long neglected attending the house of God need to return to the house of God. They need to learn afresh that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And also, they need to realize again the authority and the importance of the scriptures. It's not what saith the church. It's what saith the scriptures. The Bible is neglected. It's been forgotten. It's an unread book in many homes. It is rejected by many. And of course, our community needs to rediscover the power of the gospel. And they also need to realize that they must have a strong, vibrant, experimental, personal faith in Christ. And if our wee province is to be changed and transformed and saved, then overarching the need of the province is this, a revival of the Protestant religion. Where we reach out into working class and middle class areas. And at the heart of this. Has to be a call to stand fast in the faith. And that's what we're thinking about this morning. Three things. I want you to think of the doctrine that is emphasized. The faith. See, the Apostle Paul assumes his readers and his hearers are familiar with what the faith is. He doesn't elaborate. He just says, stand fast in the faith. And of course, it's not merely a reference to a personal faith in Christ, although I, I believe that's included, because that's an integral part of the gospel, a, a, a summons to a faith in Christ. Faith, of course, is forsaking all. I trust him. He came unto his own, his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God. The word power is the authority or the right. But it's not merely a reference to a personal faith in Christ. It is primarily a reference to an objective body of teaching known as the gospel standard. The faith is wide to include all that God has revealed himself as the triune God and how that God unfolds what we call the great doctrine of redemption. The doctrine that's to be emphasized, I want to say this morning, is a scriptural standard. Question two of the Shorter Catechism asks, what rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? The reference to a rule is a reference to a standard. And here's the answer. The word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. The third question is, what do the scriptures principally teach? And here's the answer. The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God. That is God's revelation of himself in the Holy Scriptures. And what duty God requires of man. You see, we live in a day when the church is very woolly about standing for a scriptural standard. And the church of Jesus Christ is under attack today from postmodernism. 
It's under attack from pluralism, spiritually and ethically. See, pluralism says there's more than one right answer to to everything to do with life. The church is under attack from liberalism and from modernism, which wants to accommodate the church to everything and anything. The church is under attack from enemies within and enemies without. The church today of Jesus Christ is fearful and frightened, and in many respects it's feeling its people and its community. And the church, by and large, stands for nothing. We could ask the question rightly this morning, what does the Free Presbyterian Church stand for? And first and foremost, the answer should be that the Free Presbyterian Church exists for the glory of God to stand for the objective truth of the gospel as revealed in the Bible by the Lord himself. In the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4, we read a tremendous statement by the Apostle Paul. He says that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love. We're not to be carried about by every wind of doctrine. We're not to be divided over fundamental doctrine. We, we know there's a difference of opinion and some things that we could really say are non-essentials for the uh, gospel standard. But I want to tell you this morning, we're not saying it's cultural. We're not trying to explain things away. We're not trying to bend the Bible to suit the culture or or to suit the equality of the agenda of the day. When it comes to women in the pulpit or or women elders or or, or head covering or or an attitude to abortion or an attitude to, to homosexuality, we need to rediscover, we need to reaffirm our commitment to the authority of the Bible. We must believe what the Bible says. We we must behave on the basis of what the Bible teaches. I, of course, believe what the Bible says about itself. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. I believe that it's all divinely inspired. I believe that every word of God is pure. I believe this is a God-breathed book. I believe in plenary and verbal inspiration. I believe, therefore, in the infallibility of the Holy Scriptures. The Bible is incapable of error. I believe it's authoritative. It's the only rule of faith and practice. I believe it's sufficient. I believe it's clear. I believe that God has divinely preserved his word. You see, God's word is under attack. You take the rash of modern versions based on corrupt Greek manuscripts that are brought today. We think of scholars who spout the nonsense that the oldest is the best. So so they rely on Codex Vaticanus and Codex Sinaiticus, Codex Alexandrius, three of the most corrupt manuscripts that don't even agree among themselves. 
See, God's word is questioned today. The Bible's not true, young people are told. It's full of errors. Of course, they never prove it. I'm well aware there's difficult text and verses. But these difficulties have to be reconciled to the body of truth that God has revealed. You see, the Bible contains real characters, real events, real happenings. And the stories in the Bible from Genesis through to Revelation are all true. They actually happened in time. And the Bible faithfully records that. And in the Bible, all that we need to know about God and salvation is there. We need to to rediscover and reaffirm our commitment to the authority of the Bible. We need to rediscover and affirm our commitment to the power of the gospel. Paul could say, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, and as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Think for a moment of salvation. What does the Bible teach about salvation? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And the Free Presbyterian Church stands for the doctrine of salvation. A salvation that works. A salvation that changes and transforms lives. It's the only message that does work, that will do sinners good. And at the heart of that message is the Lord Jesus was born for sinners. That he lived a sinless life for sinners. That he died an atoning death for sinners. Think of his cry, it is finished from the tree. On the moment he cried, his precious blood was shed. The Lord Jesus, of course, rose again bodily from the dead. The Lord Jesus, therefore, must be received by faith. Let me ask the question this morning. Are you saved by trusting in Christ as Lord and Saviour? Are you washed in the blood of Calvary's Lamb? Are your sins forgiven? Have you peace with God? Have you got the assurance that one day it'll be absent from the body and present with the Lord? The the assurance of home. You see, it's not what the world says. It's what the Word teaches. It's not the church that saves. It is Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And that's what Luther discovered as a Roman Catholic monk. He discovered it's not the church that saves my soul. Neither it's rites nor it's rituals. Neither it's conduct nor nor it's ceremonies. Neither it's prayers or it's penance or it's pardons. But it's Christ and Christ alone. And therefore he received Christ by faith. I want you to think this morning. Of sanctification. The Bible calls for holy living. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14 says. Follow peace with all men. And holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. This is not the ground of our salvation. The ground of our salvation. The precious shed blood of the Lord Jesus. The work of Christ is the ground of our salvation. This is the fruit of. You think of the gospel standard tied into the law of God. The first commandment 
the sanctity of God is the living and the true God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The sanctity of worshipping that God without idols. The, the sanctity of God's name. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. The sanctity of the Lord's day. Aren't many today guilty of Sabbath breaking? Isn't that one of the evident sins of our society? That, that if there's nothing else that men commit, they need to repent of that. On the Sabbath day, I should go to the house of God and hear the word of God and worship the throne of God. Think about the sanctity of honoring parents. The authority in the home. That, that spills over then into the authority of the church and the authority of the state. Think about the sanctity of life. Thou shalt not kill. Isn't it interesting that the liberals would say, well, we accept that. But as long as it's not in the womb, because they, they advocate the killing of the unborn via abortion. And of course, there's calls now for... Uh, Older people and, and this uh, liberal agenda of pushing euthanasia. What about the disabled? Many thousands of little babies because they're born Down syndrome and it's diagnosed before they're born have been murdered by abortion. You think of the IRA campaign in Northern Ireland. The calls today, but, but the provosts were driven to it. I want to tell you, it was never legitimate to commit murder. The IRA campaign in this province was wrong. They, they murdered in cold blood members of security force. They, 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 they murdered innocents in the name of a cause. Think of the sanctity of marriage. Adultery, fornication, homosexuality, bestiality, polygamy. They're all wrong. Why? Because we've got a commandment that says thou shalt not commit adultery. Think of the sanctity of one's possessions. Thou shalt not steal. Think of the sanctity of truthfulness. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Lying is wrong in all its forms. Think of the sanctity of heart. Which goes to the root of holiness. Thou shalt not covet. Lust in the heart. Even lust in the heart is sin. Now, now we've heard the calls, but this is legalism the free church teaches. I want to tell you it's not. It is what the Bible teaches. That this is God's universal law. And this is tied into the gospel standard. For those that are saved and justified by faith, he him God justifies by faith, also sanctifies. And he sanctifies by the truth of the word of God. By the, by the word of God we learn what's wrong. We learn what sin is. We learn to repent of it. Think of the whole subject of separation. There has to be a call today for personal separation from worldliness. A call for ecclesiastical separation from apostasy. That needs to be affirmed again today in the Free Presbyterian Church. In some ways, over time, we have lost our way. And, and you don't hear much preaching about apostasy today. You, you don't hear about the sins and the wrongdoings of, of other churches. And I'm well aware that those that live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. The Free Presbyterian Church is not a perfect church. It'll never be a perfect church. 
But we've got to not only deal with our own sinful lifestyle, but we've got to point out the sins of others. You don't hear much preaching today about Roman Catholicism, resurgent Romanism. It's all tied in. Think of the second coming. We, we, we ought to all believe in a personal, visible, bodily return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because one day Jesus Christ is coming back and his feet will stand in the Mount of Olives. And we as a denomination must stand by this. That we believe in the second coming of Christ. And I want to tell you in relation to this scriptural standard. If a man ever comes into this pulpit. Or one of the pulpits of our free Presbyterian church. And wants to deviate from this scriptural standard. Then I'll oppose him to his face. Because this is a settled standard. Remember, Jude says about the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. You see, it, it's fixed and settled. It was once delivered. You don't need a new revelation to tell you what truth is. You don't need another book besides the Bible. Let it be the book of Mormons or the Koran. There's no called a waver here there's no need for a new revelation why? because the faith is once delivered unto the saints doesn't the Bible say thy word is forever settled in heaven the Bible exhorts us to buy the truth and sell it not the doctrine that is emphasized the faith, what does that mean? The scriptural standard that's settled by God. That ties in the doctrine of salvation, sanctification, separation, the second coming. They all go together. Notice, secondly, and very quickly here, the difficulties to be expected. Think of these words, if you go back to the text, stand fast. I want you to think of a soldier on sentry duty at his post. And he's to stand fast. And you know something? It's not easy to stand. In fact, I said this to some brethren at the 12th of July demonstration in Clock Mills. Well, I said it before it in Tandragee when they were waiting on the religious service there at the top of the town. It's not easy to stand. Just standing about Stand fast. You see, like the Corinthian church, we live in a culture in which truth is being regarded as relative. Our whole United Kingdom sadly scoffs at the concept of an objective, unyielding truth revealed in the Word of God. And of course, the Corinthian church, they wanted certain truths to be acceptable to the culture of their day and generation. And they discovered that to do otherwise, to stand fast, wasn't easy. And here's the reason why. Because they had a trio of forces against them. Think of the devil. Never underestimate the power of a personal devil. The devils are real individual and as you attempt to do a work for God 
The devil will seek to thwart that work at every turn. If you seek to engage in prayer, the devil will seek to attack you in relation to prayer. Remember the Bible tells us, verse 12 of Ephesians 6, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Another enemy against us is the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What is worldliness? It's an anti-God system. It's an anti-Christian system. It's a, it's a system of life without God. See, in Reformation times, long before Luther, God raised up men like John Huss. God had raised up men like John Wycliffe, the morning star of the Reformation. And they gave their lives for the cause of truth and righteousness. And they had such a love for the Lord. Therefore, they loved not their lives, even unto death. And they gave themselves to martyrdom. And you know, in this 21st century, many thousands across the world are still giving their lives for the honour and glory of Jesus Christ. And you think today, over there in John chapter 3 and in the verse 13, the apostle John made a very interesting statement. He said, marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. Why does the world hate us, this anti-God, anti-Christian system? Because of our love for Christ. And because they hated Christ, they hate us, the followers of Christ, and they'll do everything to attack us. And we need men today. We need women who'd stand fast. Even though there's an enemy against us called the world. You think of God's professing people today, difficulty making it out in the Lord's day. I'm not speaking about the holiday time now. Difficulty making it out to the prayer meeting. You think of another enemy. The enemy of the flesh. We all struggle with inward remaining sin. We're all human. We've all flaws. We've all weaknesses. And it's easy to love ease. It's easy to become tired and weary. Of course, we're never tired off the work, but we'll be tired in it. And Paul is saying to this church, one of these commands, when the enemy comes to terrify you, whether the world, the flesh, or the devil rises up, this is what I want you to do in the battle. I want you to stand fast. Let me tell you a little story as we finish. Alexander the Great, you've heard of him, 3rd century BC. His name was revered in the Grecian Empire. Alexander the Great was loved. He loved himself, of course. He loved his own name. And many thousands would have trembled at the name Alexander the Great. Well, one day in a certain battle, as they were lining up to face the enemy, Alexander noticed one soldier fleeing from the battle. So he went round from the trunk, the front to the back of the, the troops. He, he galloped off at speed. He caught up with a soldier. And he says to him, what are you doing? And he says, truthfully, I'm fleeing from the battle, sir. I'm afraid. He said to the young man, young soldier, what's your name, boy? 
And he says, my name's Alexander. And this is what he said. You have got to change your name. Or change your behavior. Because if you bear my name, then you'll do what I expect you to do. And for those of us who bear the name of Christ, then we must do what Christ expects us to do. And in the heat of the battle, he expects us to stand fast, even when we're terrified by the enemy. You think of Bloody Mary, where over 300 Protestants were killed during her reign. Think of the famous ones like Hugh Latimer, um, Bishop Ridley. Remember, they were burnt at the stake. Think of them standing in the pile of wood. Think of the wood being lit. They're, they're tied there in the middle to a stake. And Latimer said to Ridley, Be of good courage and play the man, for we shall by God's grace light such a candle in England that will never go out. And I want to tell you, that candle's burning low. Our British government today, and this is not a political statement, is morally bankrupt. It is legislated for things that God hates. It's legislated for things that's against common decency. Things that are against the word of God. And what does the church do? The church must stand fast and be true to the faith. The difficulties that we expect. We expect the world to hate us. We expect to struggle with the remaining sin. We expect the devil to come against us. But Jesus said, I'll build my church. The gates of hell shall not be real against it. One final thing, and our time is gone. The determination that must be exhibited. You see, this word stand fast in the faith. This was a command to the whole church. Not just to one individual. This is a, a collective, plural command. And it's a command to, to strengthen and to encourage and, and, and exhort one another. And if we're going to be steadfast in the Free Presbyterian Church this year and on into next year, then there has to be a spirit of unity. Let me tell you a tale about a father who had seven sons and he gave each son one stick and he asked the son, can you break that stick? And of course, many of the boys just broke the stick in front of their father. And then he gave each son seven sticks in a little bundle all tied together. And he says, now, which of you can break this? And there wasn't one. And then he taught them, he said, sons, there's strength in unity. You must stand together. And the church of Jesus Christ must stand together. Like the early church stood together with one mind, one heart, one accord, and one voice. You see, in Nehemiah's day, the people had a mind to work. That is, they, they stood together. They, they soldiered together. Isn't the tactic of the enemy to divide and conquer? And how many, instead of standing fast in a spirit of unity with togetherness, feel to stand up for the Lord, that they're willing to stand against their brethren and their sisters. Remember Psalm 133. 
Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, Paul says, in the bond of peace. There's also a spirit of dependability. This soldier at the sentry duty wasn't to retreat from his post. He was never to move from the place without authorization or order. He was not to waver. He he was not to retreat. He was to be dependable. Where's that soldier at the gate? Where's that soldier on the tower? Where's that soldier in the place the commanding officer put him? He's still there. He's doing a good job. He has the spirit of dependability. And if we're going to be steadfast, then we've got to not only be united, but we've got to be dependable. Are we dependable in maintaining the services? In, 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 in maintaining our testimony? Let me close. There has to be a spirit of honourability. I close with this thought. Someone has rightly said that if something waddles like a duck, quacks like a duck, looks like a duck, then what is it? It's a duck. Even the children can understand that. Right? Well, you see, a Christian... A follower of Jesus ought to be a Christian in his conduct, in his conversation, in his character. And if we're positionally in Christ, justified by faith and being sanctified by the truth, then we will also be practical in our living for Christ. There has to be a correspondence between talking the talk and walking the walk. Doesn't the Bible say over in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 2, it says, Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. Let me tell you, ask you a question. What about your testimony? Your family? Your neighborhood? Your community? See, sadly, many followers of the Lord Jesus who claim to love Christ... Their testimony is not good in their family. It's not good in their community. A young couple came to the minister one time and asked, they would like to give out some tracts in their community. And they, they said, well, we want to know the best form of tract that we could give them. And you know what the minister says? The best tract that you can give them is your life and testimony. That's the best tract. See, a spirit of honourability. Here's the determination that must be exhibited. And if we could recapture a spirit of unity and be dependable and yet be honourable, maintaining a good testimony, that will speak volumes for the honour of the Lord. A call to be steadfast in the faith. The doctrine that must be emphasised. The difficulties to be expected and the determination to be exhibited. May the Lord give us grace as we seek to do this to the honour of his name.